and welcome back to the Snub Club, and the podcast where we talk about the movie that got the most Oscar noms, but no wins. We're at the 10th Academy Awards this week, but more importantly, I have hosts, co-hosts, in fact, I'm Danny Vincent, by the way, uh, but who are these other people in here? We're going to see if they can figure it out this time. <laughs> I'm Sarah Kanoff. <laughs> and I'm Caleb Bunn. We are at the 10th Academy Awards, which is, interestingly enough, I believe this is our 10th episode. And the reason that's interesting is because we didn't do the first two. Anyway, so what, what are we covering today? Oh, wait, that's my job. I get announced what we're covering today. So let's look at the 10th Academy Awards. Oh, boy, this is a long little countdown for you. So, The Life of Emil Zola was the first film to get 10 nominations. Um... It won three. It won Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Adaptation. Two films were nominated for seven nominations. Uh, those are Lost Horizon and the original A Star is Born. Lost Horizon was nominated for Best Art Direction and, be- excuse me, won Best Art Direction and Best Film Editing, while A Star is Born <laughs> won Original Story. <laughs> Funnily enough. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I read that I was like, oh, that's nice to see it got. Nom- no, excuse me, it won original story. It's nice to see it won for the original one, because I think it got nominated all the other times, I'm pretty sure, and adapted. Um, maybe I'm wrong about the Streisand one, I'm not sure. Um, anyway, then we had two films that were nominated for six Oscars. The Awful Truth won Best Director, and In Old Chicago won Best Supporting Actress and Best Assistant Director. Then we have two films that got five nominations. One of them is called The Good Earth, it won Best Actress and Best Cinematography, and another is called A Hundred Men and a Girl, which won Best Scoring. And then we have three films that got four nominations, and only one of them won, which was Captain's Courageous, which won Best Actor. This week we're covering the first one of those, which is Gregory LaCava's Stage Door. As Sarah called it last week, it is the end of our LaCava saga. I'm just going to say, preemptively, Redemption Arc? Maybe? Mm-hmm. Uh, no no this was this is definitely the best one we've seen but it doesn't make up for Cellini (laughs) nothing would make up for Cellini (laughs) um okay but before we get into that uh Sarah what was this nominated for yeah so Stage Door was nominated for four Academy Awards uh it was nominated for Best Picture and lost to The Life of Emile Zola it was nominated for Best Director for our boy, Gregory LaCava, uh, who lost to Leo, Mc- Leo McCary for The Awful Truth. Uh, Best Supporting Actress for Andrea Leeds, who lost to uh, Alice Brady in Old Chicago, who was previously nominated for My Man Godfrey. And Best Adaptation for Morris Riskin and Anthony Beller, which lost to the whole crew of the life of Emil Zola. All right. And do we have any historical context on stage door before we start talking about it? You know, I could rant about uh, Lucille Ball. Um, and because I grew up watching I Love Lucy and it's one of the best sitcoms ever made. But that came two decades later. So I decided to spare you all that. The only other interesting thing was this um, centers around a. Uh, acting a theatrical boarding house um, that uh, is also the setting for Gold Diggers of 1933, which has come up a couple times on this podcast. And um, 
Boarding houses are still around, but all women's boarding houses, especially ones kind of based around specific trades, were more of a thing back in the 30s. Um, And there is one that's still operating called the Rehearsal Club that was founded in 1913. And that's kind of considered the uh, like the most um, most famous, most successful uh, boarding house that focused on actresses. All right. Interesting. Now, before we get to the film talking about it, I have the DVD. Whenever I get out the DVD, I like to read the back cover. Now, shall I do it? Sure. I don't think we could stop you. It amuses you. (laughs) A brilliant picture. The performances are amazingly good. The New York Times. Ginger Rogers and Ann Miller tap in time and ratatat lines. Lucille Ball braves a date with an obnoxious lumber baron. Eve Arden can't recall Hamlet. But one meets so many people in the big city. Catherine Hepburn becomes Broadway's biggest star in a play where she notes, The color lilies are in bloom again. Stars galore shine in this nominee for four Academy Awards, including Best Picture, a fast, witty story of aspiring actresses living at a theatrical boarding house. Based on the Edna Edna Ferber and George S. Kaufman play, this tale was considerably rewritten for film, so much that Kaufman quipped that it should be called Screen Door. What matters most to an acting hopeful, though, is an open door. With humor and heart, the ex- this excellent film suggests some things matter more. That is what the DVD writer of Stage Door wow. had to say in 05. Okay. Yeah. Uh, shall we do what I feel like we've been doing somewhat recently and like portray- betray our thoughts before we <laughs> go into it? If we don't want to, we could just let the listeners be surprised later on with our <laughs> thoughts. I don't really care on this front. <laughs> nah, you go for it. Danny, Danny, what did you think about this here movie? So, yes, last night I was texting our group chat, and Caleb said, we can go a bit short on this. Maybe we'll still go short. But I was like, I don't want to force this one to be short, because I feel like this is a milestone for the podcast. And the reason why I say that is, this is the first film I've decided to give a 4 out of 5 to. On Letterboxd. I thought this was a very well done film. I was very engaged with it. The ending actually got me emotional. I felt like it succeeded on pretty much every front it was at. There were some sequences where it was a little annoying, but annoying in that, oh, I'm watching an older movie and this is like the way to be clever way that I can't really hold against it. So I thought it was really good. I was very impressed. I was very shocked that Greg Lukava had this in him, but I also feel like. I feel like it was more the actresses that had it in them and the script that I liked than Mr. Lacavo necessarily. Um, but that's my take on Stage Door. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you like okay, to follow bye. us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I agree. I thought it was very good. Um, I genuinely like really liked it. Um, again, I think that it, probably have more to do with there's one actress in particular i don't want to betray i don't want to reveal what my nomination will be but there's one actress in particular who i thought was really good um but there, i mean they're all andrea good. leads because she got the nomination <laughs> it's not her um but yeah i thought the actresses were all really good i liked that it wasn't like a romance because i feel like that's like where Lakava really <laughs> lets us down <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought it was good. 
It was fine. Um, <laughs> I was ready for it. I was going to be like, Gail's about to deflate this balloon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, it just didn't hit for me that, uh, that hard. I think LaCava has this, uh, knack for taking a interesting premise and finding ways to make it feel underwhelming. Um, and I feel like that's, that's mainly my feeling here. Uh, I will say by the end, uh, it did kind of have me turning around on it. Um, I appreciate where the story ends up. Um, but you know, I, I probably won't have too much to say on this episode. Never do we. Thanks for listening. <laughs> you can't do that joke twice. <laughs> yeah, no, but now I have to do it a third time because of rule of three. Um, yeah, I, I, I took, I went to film school. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, let's, uh, let's, as we say on my other podcast, dig in to stage door. Now, first off, we start at the logo, RKO. I remember this logo from the hit film Mank. Uh, Shut up. (laughs) 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 Well, actually, no, but but in all sincerity, I think this this is our first RKO movie because I don't remember seeing the logo for this podcast yet. I think Um, it is. And, of course, RKO is infamous for Citizen Kane, at least in my book. That's what where it always comes up for me. Um, because, you know, Citizen Kane, you have to watch it sometimes, right? Uh, <laughs> well, you don't have to. Or a few dozen times, yeah. <laughs> you have to, yes. You can refuse. <laughs> you, fail out of, you flunk out of school. <laughs> All right. So, the movie begins with Catherine Hepburn... Well, of course, actually, as all these movies begin, they begin with opening titles. Uh, yes. And I feel like we almost always discuss them anyway, so we might as well just talk about it. <laughs> Is that I was really distracted when it came up. So it comes, it scrolls up like an actual end credits nowadays do. But Ginger Rogers and Catherine Hepburn are the same building. And I, I for some reason, I just started, Catherine Ginger? Who's that? Because it's, the, the, their names are right next to each other. Damn, I'm just I'm not I'm not on point today. Everyone's like, "Damn, wow. shut up!" <laughs> I mean, I can talk a little bit about Katherine Hepburn in this movie. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so her last four movies before this were like box office bombs. They didn't do well. Um, she kind of parodies herself a little bit in this because she was on a play on Broadway, and she like got really really bad reviews. Um. But she insisted, like, originally her part was going to be much smaller, and she, like, really had to insist to LaCava that she was going to be top build. And LaCava was like, you know, you, you should be lucky, blah, blah, blah. But eventually she fought her way up there. And the movie ended up doing so well that she was cast alongside Cary Grant in Bringing Up Baby. So it worked out for her. Yeah, in Bringing Up Baby, um which is one of my favorite films, kind of would lay the groundwork for her career moving forward. Um, Because she was not confident as a comedian before that movie, but after starring in it, um, she felt more confident doing that style of acting. And then we got things like the Philadelphia story. I just realized something that I was really stupid about. Catherine Hepburn is not the same as Audrey Hepburn. They are 
almost polar opposites. <laughs> That's why I was confused this whole movie. I was like, this does not remind me of the woman from Roman Holiday. <laughs> Wait, so you didn't know who Catherine Hepburn was? Well, I mean, I obviously knew who, like, I knew, I think I just conflate the two, you know, because I haven't seen many films by her, and I think the only Audrey Hepburn movie I've seen is Roman Holiday, and I'd have to open my letterbox to see what Catherine Hepburn films I've seen. I'm pretty sure it's just this one, honestly. I'm not sure. She's, she is probably... Her and Grace Kelly are rivals for my favorite, like, classic Hollywood actress. Um, but I, I think she's completely different than anyone else who was working in the 30s and 40s. And, and absolutely, like, she always is a scene, scene stealer, even in her less than uh, stellar performances. Yep, this is my first, uh, first Catherine Hepburn movie, and the only... Because I looked it up too. The only ever Audrey Hepburn movie I've seen besides uh, Roman Holiday is the Steven Spielberg flop Always, where she plays. That's her last movie. (laughs) I've seen it. I love Audrey Hepburn, but that's neither here nor there. Because it's not Catherine Hepburn. I'm sure she will be on this podcast at some point. I would be very surprised. I think she is, actually. I think she is. Yeah. Um, But yeah, anyway. I think Catherine Hepburn is really good. For some reason, she reminded me of, and I try not to say names of professors on this podcast, but a theater depressed. Well, it's more her haircut. It reminded me of a theater professor I had back in school. Uh, she teach acting? Yes, she did. Okay. She should tell okay. you exactly who it is. Because okay. <laughs> there was only one woman who taught acting. We went to school. <laughs> Caleb's like, no, she doesn't. You're wrong. I I didn't know. I don't know this woman. So oh, okay. Well, I you know Catherine Hepburn at least. I don't. Um, I was honestly a little impressed with Ginger Rogers. Well, let's talk about let's let's talk, let's about, talk about the, the plot. The plot. Yeah. Not talk about let's the talk character. about the plot. Okay. So um, you want to go? go? Go. Yeah. Do well. It. Okay. So it starts off kind of chaotic. There's a lot of characters. Um. Some of them seem like they're going to be more important than they actually are. Uh, like Lucille Ball, like it starts on her, but she's not really, she doesn't have like a storyline throughout the movie, um, but she's introduced as like a main character. So there's Lucille Ball. I, I was expecting a, sorry to go off that. I was expecting like Gail Patrick to have like a big role and she really doesn't. Yeah. Uh, mainly because I'm like, oh, well, she's friends with LaCava, so Probably got yeah. a nice role. Well, and her name's on the poster, too. And she's, like, first billed after the main three. And Gail Patrick like, played the uh, the snooty sister in My Man Godfrey. And here she plays the snooty tenant of the house. Yes. So they're all... There's kind of this sisterly vibe between everybody, with the exception of Gail Patrick and... Um, Ginger Rogers. Ginger Rogers is kind of this brat. She's kind of, you know, sassy. She likes to make fun of everybody. But they all kind of rib each other. Um, So Gail Patrick, who plays Linda, is her name? She has a sugar daddy, who is a Broadway producer, which is important later, but not now. Um, (laughs) Lucille Ball. uh, They keep calling Powell, and I kept thinking of William Powell. I'm like, that's not William Powell. Don't lie to me. Lucille Ball (laughs) plays Judy who frequently, as the DVD says, she goes on dates with men in order to get meals. Um, 
Uh, Ginger Rogers plays Jean, who, like I said, she's kind of the bratty. She's a dancer, obviously, because she's Ginger Rogers. Um, and then there's a new woman who joins the house, and that is Terry, who is played by Catherine Hepburn. Honestly, she, she was the only name I like actually caught. The rest of them mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is Gail Patrick, or oh, this is yeah. Ginger Rogers. She was like, oh, Terry. I, I caught yes. Terry and Powell. Um, and she yeah. is, uh, she wants to be an actress, but she doesn't have any experience. She obviously comes from money, which really grinds the other girl's gears. Um, and there's one other girl who's very important to the plot, um, and that is Kay, who Academy is. Academy Award nominee. Yes. What's her name again? Andrea, Andrea Leeds. Leeds. Um, and Kay was previously, she previously had success on Broadway, um, but she never really got another role afterwards. So she's kind of in a funk. So those are kind of our players. And also Powell, who is the, the Broadway producer. He's a creep. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, he's kind of, a creep. I was like, this is, well, I, not like ahead of its time, but I'm like, okay. I like this movie's being honest about this, like in the 30s, in this movie about mm-hmm. women. Me, a man, saying I that. wonder how much of that is our perspective coming in, though. Because within, like, the guise of the plot, he never really gets too much comeuppance or judgment. Like, Catherine Hepburn, Hepburn rips him a little bit um, and kind of bullies him into giving her a leading role. But that's about it. I don't think he's ever portrayed as sympathetic or likable, though. Mm-mm. He's always, I mean, like... maybe a little bit in one scene but like like at the beginning of a scene um so basically jumping ahead a little bit um i know i'm talking a lot but i just it's fresh in my brain um so linda is with powell um but she's old so he doesn't like her anymore and so uh gene ginger ginger rogers dances for him at his club and he decides that he wants to be with her. And she's initially like, I don't want to do that. That's creepy. That's weird. Um, but she really hates Linda. So she decides that she's going to do it. And then they they have dinner. They have drinks. And she decides that she is in love with him. And this is a source of conflict for Terry. Because she doesn't want... She doesn't want Jean to be taken advantage of. So that's where we're at with that plot. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of plot lines here. I think it's interesting because, okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Going back to my thoughts on the movie overall is even though I liked it, I can't really say I was, and it's funny, I'm, I'm still like, I'm giving it a four out of five because I, I do legitimately think the ending is, at least for me, that emotionally resonant. I'm like, yeah, I feel comfortable saying this was a good movie even if I didn't get, I didn't get into it until we had the scene where... <laughs> We'll talk about it a bit in a way that I'm not going to right at this very moment. But the scene where Catherine Hepburn storms into his office, Powell's office. That's when I was like, oh, okay, I'm getting into this now. This is exciting. Uh, I'm sure that scene will come up as something we can talk about in regards to what we talked about in the last episode. About how all these movies seem to have a scene of race that is uncomfortable. At least for me. I guess we can talk about it now if we want to. But It's a throwback to... Uh... Yeah, yeah. Um, who is that? What, Captain Blood. Yes. Kind of a throwback to those vibes. Yeah, very very uncomfortable vibes. Um, was that what we watched last time? Captain Blood? No. No, we watched... Uh, 
Oh yeah, the, I was talking about the Indian. I was talking about the Indian comments. The Indian comments in that yeah. Native Americans, but they say Indians. But yeah, uh, but yeah. Anyway, uh, but Sarah, we can go back with you running the plot. You just watched this, honestly. Uh, yeah, I don't know. The thing about this movie is, I enjoyed it because it was like I don't want to be like it was a vibes movie because it very clearly had a plot, and the plot kind of came in near the end type of thing. And when the plot came up, I liked it. But it's also like, I would argue I would argue that the plot when it came up was when the movie was not working for me. I think that being around the environment of the boarding house and just kind of episodically following these people, I found that a lot more entertaining and interesting than this actual plot with um, kind of this love triangle triangle going on and then the the bidding for the role. Um, and I think part of that might also be that I don't really like our two lead characters. I find them unlikable where everyone else in the house, I'm like, oh, I, I can, I can hang out with these people. I don't know. I wouldn't hang out with Gail Patrick. Uh, <laughs> well, I will say. She's not as bad in this one. To lead into that. Um, so as, as far as the, like, you know, the hangouts and, you know, the actual vibes of the house. So, uh, I don't know. I think it was either the writer or it was LaCava. Let me check. Well, um, while, you're, while you're checking, I do want to say the vibes is also kind of what I meant by this feeling ahead of its time. Because I feel like a lot of these older movies, you know, are all very plot, plot, plot. And the fact that this movie is kind of like, let's just hang out with these girls in a house for a bit. And I was kind of like, yeah, this feels not, not, I don't, I'm sure it wasn't revolutionary at the time because, you know, obviously... I don't think that became a popular thing. And this movie ultimately does caveat to plot. But the moments where it is just them hanging out, it's like, wow, this is feels like something I'd see like in a movie nowadays where it'd just be chill vibes type of thing. Yeah, I feel like you, I feel like it reminds me of the best parts of the Thin Man where you're just hanging out with the uh, the Charleses and that. And then, of course, the plot kicks in with the Thin Man and. You the, can go listen to our episode to hear what we thought about that. The difference, though, but there I, is it, that The Thin Man is, to me, trying to be like a blockbuster type of movie. This is more like, this yeah. is a drama. This is like, this is what I would call early Oscar bait in a way. Because it's about actors trying to succeed in their roles uh, and about the hardship that comes with chasing your dreams to be on the stage and as an actor. You know what I mean? Like Okay, so here's... Yeah, I think that's fair. Here's yeah, what I've Yes. Yeah. Sorry. So Gregory LaCava, before, like two weeks before they started filming, uh, he sent a production assistant named Winfred Thackeray uh, to embed herself at a home for aspiring actresses, the Hollywood Studio Club. Um, he told Thackeray, find me some dialogue that's alive. Get some case histories. Who are these kids? Why do they want to be in pictures? Where do they come from? What was their home life? Small town. Uh why did they why did they leave home to come here? Are they having any success? Have they been to the casting couch? Was it worth it? So that is partially why, or maybe completely why I think the dialogue works so well is because she was essentially undercover. Like she told these other women, I want to be an actress and I want to do this. And she also told them, this is cute. She told them that she was learning shorthand. So that's why she was taking notes. <laughs> yeah, she didn't get a screenplay credit. What the heck? Yeah, that's kind of lame. But um, so that, in addition to, he also allowed a lot of ad-libbing from the actresses um, in order to build that rapport with each other. Which makes sense, because these are a lot of really good comedic actors, too. 
actresses. Yeah, and I know at least uh, Lucille Ball got her start on Broadway, so I won't be surprised if a lot of these uh, kind of more background actresses were theater actresses who they got to kind of give these roles some authenticity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, 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 but yeah. So I think if this movie does have a plot, it's mo- at least to me, the enticing part is the stuff with K. Um, but I want to be very clear here. And, and this is me tipping my hand a bit is that I actually think Andrew Leeds is one of the weakest parts of this film. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, specifically uh, jumping ahead a lot when she gives a big soliloquy to the camera before she kills herself off screen. It's just kind of like spoilers. Oh, man. I was told that I I could spoil whatever I want this podcast. All right. So this is how Jungle Cruise ends. (laughs) I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) No, I haven't seen it. (laughs) No, please don't. Jungle Cruise actually does have a big spoil. Green Knight. I watched that this weekend. Uh, The night was green. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so she again, the big scene that I don't know. Is there stuff you guys want to talk about before that scene? Well, let me let me set it up. Let me set. Okay. okay. So so Terry, Catherine Hepburn. As I said, she comes from money. Her dad does not want her to be an Godfrey. actress. He, he very Godfrey. 100%... What? It's very Godfrey for her to come from money. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, she's... Yeah, she's, she kind of perpetuates that, that poor by choice narrative. But, um, Poverty tourism. Yeah. Uh, at least here... At least here, it feels like she's trying to make out her own talent, and mm-hmm. she doesn't want her name. It's not like Godfrey who's like, a woman broke up with me. <laughs> gotta go live at the dump. So her, the dump. her dad just, he doesn't want her to act. He's like, if you act, then I will disown you. She's like, fine, do it. Um, so Powell, the producer, he wants to put on this play, but he needs money. He needs an angel investor. Um, he makes a deal with this mystery angel investor who turns out to be Terry's dad. And the, the deal is her dad thinks that she's going to be a horrible actress. He thinks that she's you know, going to bomb and she's going to learn her lesson and come home. So the deal is that he, that Paula has to cast Terry in this role in order to get his money. So he casts her. She's not really that great, but she ends up being great because of circumstances with Kay. But basically Kay really, really wanted this part. And wait, wait, wait. You guys we, we, we jumped take ahead it from of it. there. Well, Did we? we actually jumped ahead of it. I wanted to talk about the scene where she faints in his office. We jumped oh, ahead yes. a lot. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Kay goes to his office and is like, yo, can we talk? And they're like, sorry, he's busy. And then, like, a shoe shiner walks by and goes into the office and she just faints because she knows he doesn't want to see her. And it's. Yeah. No, the shoe shiner goes first. In. Yeah, you're right. The shoe shiner's in the Yeah, first. and yeah. she's just she just faints because she really wants this role. We later find out that's because it's written and possibly based on someone she knew or Well, and also she it's implied that she's either I think she just is so broke that she can't eat. She can't afford to live there, but she's not eating. And so she faints because she hasn't been eating. Poor Kay, but also I don't know. Like I didn't like the character. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
I do think there's it's, nothing much to it. Well, it is one of those things where it's like, why her? Like, why? I mean, why was she the one who was nominated for this? Well, I guess she has the most like melodrama out of any of them, but she does feel like kind of a back, like a like a side thought. I think. The other interesting thing here is, I don't know, this is like a movie where, like, even though I enjoyed it, I don't really, I hate to be like, a, it's a podcast you should talk about, well, I don't have much to say, really. I thought it was good, you know what I mean? Like, uh, but I do like the scene where we cut to Terry at her first rehearsal, and you know, they always say the hardest thing for an actor to do is act badly convincingly. Uh, and I think Catherine Hepburn does, well, the thing that's funny to me about Catherine Hepburn's air quotes bad acting in this is that to me it's kind of how her character acts in the rest of the movie it's just obviously in the context of the stage show which is meant to be a melodrama her being like a nose nonsense clipping all of her words type of thing does not work at all which i think is an interesting way to take the bad acting because that's kind of like i don't know because to me i was kind of like i guess this is like bad, but like also it's a realistic bad. You know what I mean? Because this is she's just acting like herself. Well, and it felt very much like a like a parody of um, some of her other roles. I'm not sure how much of that was intentional or how much of that came from the director from Catherine. Um, but it it that was probably my favorite scene in the movie. My favorite scene was when they danced a bit. I've actually talked about my favorite part of the movie, and I don't they think I will. put Ginger Rogers in a movie, and they only give her one dance scene? Oh my gosh. What is this? I, have a weird, I want to know what the best dance direction nomination was. I have a weird thing about that, too. So, you know her dance partner? Um, I think her name is Annie in it. That girl was 14. She got a fake birth certificate, and she got signed with RKO, but she was 14 in that movie. That's really weird. Wow. Also, she invented pantyhose, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> what? <laughs> we got to run that hose. We got to run. We got to run. It's Ann, Ann Miller is her name. Oh, uh, my word. During her marriage, when pregnant with her daughter, Mary, she was thrown down the stairs and went to early labor, and the baby only lived three hours. Well, that's not fun. Why did you why, read that why part? Did you say that? <laughs> it's very sad. I couldn't find the pantyhose. I thought we were thing. good. Hey, she's the Mulholland Drive. All right, I think we need to backpedal out of this. But I want to find the pantyhose. Okay, <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. Just control F it. She claimed to invented pantyhose in the 1940s as a solution to the continual problem of tearing stockings during dance productions. The common practice had been to sew hosiery to briefs. If torn, the entire garment had to be removed and re-sewn with a new pair. Uh, Miller asked for a hosiery maker to create a combined garment. Good job, pantyhose. Ann Miller. She she allegedly could tap uh, 50 times per minute. Wow. I clicked the pantyhose Wikipedia page, and I don't think this is safe for work. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Anyway, I just thought it was interesting. She was she was discovered by Lucille Ball, and nobody knew that she was fourteen at the time. What a legend! And she this, I, was this her first movie? I think so. It's pretty interesting. I saw like her first movie and her last movie. You know, no, she was in Anna Green Gables hmm. in nineteen thirty four, uncredited, and then she was in. 
Oh, a movie called New Faces of 1937, wow. which I assume is just a film that introduces the new... Uh, the <laughs> new faces of 1937? Yeah, at RKO. Uh, but one of your first roles, Dancing Alongside Ginger Rogers, that that's a pretty good pedigree. Yeah. Well, that was partially why I think when they... I don't know if they found out she was 14 or if they just like... I don't know, but... The big thing that was like convincing to everybody is that she could hold her own with Ginger Rogers. She danced the opening number in New Faces. And it was intended to be a film series, but poor reception ended it. So there's only New Faces of 1937 and no other New Faces film ever made. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm caught up on that. <laughs> Do we still want to talk about Ginger Rogers? Because I feel like... That's kind of... I feel like I could talk about Ginger Rogers. We could talk about Ginger Rogers. Um, thought she was good. I mean, that's... Me that's I it. thought that's I it. thought the dancing... I do think the dancing was definitely underutilized. And it was a lot of just, like... I don't know. Like, that's how dancing was back then. But it was a lot of just, like, shuffling their feet and not really doing much else. Which was considered, like, really good dancing. But, I was impressed. I was like, wow, they danced better than me. They're in unison. <laughs> I do want to say, Ginger Rogers is just like a really talented actress. Um, so when I when I said that thing about the dancing, I don't want to be like, she's only good for the dancing. But also, she is also a really good dancer. Well, that's what she's known for, is dancing. Now, do you guys want to do my annual game before we talk about the ending of who did this actor remind Danny of? For for who? It's actually a very you're Can gonna you have just to tell us. You're gonna have to yeah probably honestly. So uh, Adolf Meju has a assistant who talks to him in a lot of scenes, and you really only see his profile. Uh, but he he's an actor named Pierre Watkin. So I, I looked him up, uh, and to me he reminded me of John C. Riley. Okay. That's why I figured. I'm like, I don't know if a game this week is a good idea. So K commits suicide. <laughs> yeah, that, that yes. was me laughing at her dying. I'm yes. Awful. She gives this big speech to the camera about how. Oh, but first she's like, "You need to hold." The, the flowers like it's a baby. Oh. She gives acting tips to Catherine. Well, she's Hepburn. crying. She's, yeah, she's, she's crying. What a loser! <laughs> well, she's trying. She's trying to be a good sport about losing the role. She's trying to have an Oscar clip. She's trying. To I mean, to be okay, but I think that's a really interesting point. Is because I think that Terry, like, was kind of a jerk. Like, I realized like she was under contract, and like the play would not have been like. I realized that there were circumstances outside of that. But if I were Terry, I'd be like, out of the goodness of my heart, I'm not going to take this role. It just seemed really weird. Well, it's it's because no one in this movie is a good person. <laughs> uh, I think there's one good person in the movie, and it's Lucia Ball because she's never she she can't be bad. True. Um, That's because all she does is go on dates. Yes. Yeah. Um, I will also say the thing about it to me is like she keeps saying like I'm gonna be honest like. Yeah, she's crying, but if someone says to me, no, you could have the part. I don't want it anymore. You earned it. I'm not going to be like, okay, you can have it. You know, like, I'll be like, well, all well right. she can't Calm give her the role. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to say that on opening night. 
I so she has a scene with Catherine Hepburn, and then she walks up the stairs, and it's very dramatically shot. The most subjective any of Lacava's filmmaking has been up to this point, and some of the most subjective we've seen in our podcast so far. Um, and I was like, I was kind of like, I'm enjoying this because it's something different, but also it does not vibe with the rest of the movie. Yeah, I agree. I also just felt like, again, I I hate to be like melodrama because obviously melodrama is a good genre of this era. But to me, I feel like Kay's bit, I keep talking about her soliloquy in a way where she just talks to the camera for about a minute or so about like, I don't even honestly remember what she was saying. It just kept going on and on. It was like, oh, maybe, maybe my time is up. Maybe. Yeah. And I was like, oh, all right. I get it. You're going to die. Just, just do it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, like, I hate this, like, you know what I mean? Like, it was obvious where the movie was going. Can I just say, so I spoiled myself by reading the entire Wikipedia article before I watched it because I didn't want to be confused. And so I knew what was going to happen to Kay. And there's a part, I don't know if this was intentional, but there's a part at the very beginning when Kay is first introduced and she interacts with Ginger Rogers, Jean. And Jean says something to this girl in the bathroom and she says like, why don't you drown? She says, if you want to drown yourself, go to the ocean. Oh, hi, Kay. And I was like, <laughs> is that foreshadowing? <laughs> I was hoping you'd be something more like she walks into Terry and Kay walks in, like Terry walks in and Kay walks into Terry and Kay goes, oh, you're going to be the death of me or something like that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I just, if that was foreshadowing, that would have been good. But she doesn't drown herself. She jumps off the, the building. Yeah. Rip. And then after she jumps off the building, Catherine Hepburn is able to use the grief. Hold up, hold up, hold up. You're going too fast there, buddy. First, we have a big scene. I just want to get to the end. No, there's a big scene in the dressing room where they tell her. (laughs) That's what cracked up is like they told her. (laughs) Again, I get why for the movie, but just the audacity is like, it's your first opening on Broadway. By the way, someone killed themselves over the role you have. They're like, she's like. Specifically. It's Jean who hates her and blames, semi-rightfully, blames her for Kay's death. Yeah. Yes. But she's like, why would you tell me? I'm like, that's a good question. <laughs> like, cause is it Jean who tells her or is it the other woman who tells her? The no, the other coach. woman doesn't want her to know. Oh, yeah. There's okay. a, there's another. Yeah. There's a coach woman. She's not that important. She's yeah. just there. Jean... Jean tells her because she wants her to fail. Yes. And she's like, I'm going to be in the audience. And every time you say anything, I'll just be thinking of how much better an actress Kay was. It's kind of brutal. Oof. I mean, but is she wrong? (laughs) I mean, yes. (laughs) Catherine Everett is is better than Andrea Leeds. (laughs) Well, no, no. I mean, in the world of the film, obviously. I mean, I'm talking about the world of the film, Sarah. Come on. Well, we never got to see Kay audition, so we don't know. Uh, well, we got to see her crying backstage, holding <laughs> up, holding some leaves and going, this part should have been mine. <laughs> but Terry does do a good job, fueled by her grief for Kay. Yes. And then at the end, her and Jean make up for some dumb reason. And her and dad is all sad. This stuff about... The ending is too long. Yeah, I don't think... 
I don't think we need to get into too many of the specifics. The important part is that Catherine gives this big old speech about how it wasn't me acting. It's the people who should be honored are all the actresses who don't get, you know, to where I am. And I liked that. I felt like not only does that work for the themes of the movie, but it also kind of works as a commentary for it's like, no, it's not like the the select few who are privileged enough to get up there because especially at this time in history, there are a lot of people who are being forgotten, like we talked about last week. I liked that scene. But then the movie kept going for another, you know, five minutes. I think, well, I think even then there's like a logical end point when we have them in her dressing room and Terry's like, I'm ditching the press. I don't need to see this anymore. And like they walk out and then Adolf Menju is just like, where is she? I, th- I have a bunch of people waiting to talk to her. And they're like, she left. Like that would be an okay ending point. But then there's like four yeah. minutes in the movie. It just so. keeps going. Yeah. <laughs> but I also, I, I don't mind. I think the ending itself is also kind of nice. It's just that it's weird that there's a montage to get there. I wish. Yeah. Like I wish it was just like, a fade in fade out type of thing instead there's like a minute long montage showing like how great the reviews terry's getting about there's a shot of the grave in there that was apparently removed on home video <laughs> with the grave and honestly i feel like the, grave, so the version dramatic. i watched must have been the home video because the grave was not no, in no, there. it's me, so please. dramatic yes hold on hold on it might it's not home because i have the home video copyright i watched it on dvd uh it was edited on all TV showings and is not on the original VHS or beta version. It was restored on the DVD. So I watched I watched a version that was on Daily Motion and it probably was ripped from TV. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a shot of uh, Kay's grave in it. It's very dramatic. It's like a Dutch angle and it's like and the, yeah, somebody's like mowing the lawn. It's really weird. Yeah, the lawn mowing. <laughs> I forgot about the lawn mowing. But anyway, after this montage is over, we get a little closing scene where someone move. I can't remember who moves out of them. One of them moves. It's out. Lucio Ball. She's getting married. Oh, okay. So yeah, okay. So Lucio Ball moves out, and then someone else moves in. It's kind of like, oh, this whole thing is a circle, and it's kind. I, I don't know. I don't mind ending like that, and I don't think we, we, we. I've seen one like a movie this old like that before. So that'd be nicer if the movie was more episodic and focused more on those side characters. Yeah. Yeah. It works as a button, but I think it takes too long to get to the button. Yeah. Type of thing. Whereas the earlier thing in the dressing room would have been a better ending to me. Um, Because then you get, you know, Ginger Rogers and Catherine Hepburn kind of calling a truce. Uh, Dolph Menju is very angry. And then we cut to the end. It'd be great. But yeah. I don't know. I thought it was a good movie. Yeah, I thought it was good. I thought it was fine. (laughs) Snow Captain Blood. Anyway. It's, it's no the second half of Captain Blood. Alright. Shall we shall we do our thing? Sure. Alright, so this was nominated for four Academy Awards. One of them's Best Picture. I don't think any of us would pick that, presumably. Uh one of them was directed by Greg. Our friend our friend Greg. One of them is supporting actress by Andrea Leeds. One of them's adaptation. Okay, by process of elimination, this is not game best picture because the awful truth also came out this year. Um, it is not getting best director because La Cava hurt has hurt me too much over the last you know month or so. It I cannot, in all honesty, give it adapted 
screenplay because like I talked about a while ago, screenplay noms are just kind of weird for me. So I have to give it to Andrea Leeds. Um, I don't think she was that bad, though. I think she was on par with Ginger Rogers in this. It's just that Ginger Rogers had more character. Okay. That works. Hold on, sorry. I got distracted for a second. Because I saw that Catherine Hepburn was in Little Women. I wanted to know who she played. Uh, She's Joe. (laughs) She's perfect casting for Joe. Of course she'd be Joe. I really wish she could have... She could have made that movie in a more progressive time because that that version kind of doubles down on her getting married at the end. It's weird. Anyway, sorry, rant over. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go screenplay with the caveat that my girl Winfred Thackeray gets her due. I forgot about the whole Winfred story. <laughs> I changed my answer. You're right. What? I, so, I do. Are think- you officially changing your answer? Yes, I'm officially okay. changing my answer. I do think it was, and I, I think that, like, obviously in terms of it being a good adaptation, I haven't read the play, but, like, if the original writers of the play thought that it was terrible, it's probably not a good adaptation. But I thought it was good. I thought it was good for what it was. I, I, didn't, I didn't think it was there was anything egregiously bad like previous Lakava works. I, I think this is interesting because I think, well, I pick adaptation too, but I think we all pick it for different reasons. Because the reason I pick it is precisely because it is apparently nothing like the original work. The fact that it adapted and basically made an original story out of these concepts and characters. Because according to the Wikipedia article, I'll read this now so I can enlighten you guys and the listeners. This film has almost nothing to do with the play except for a few character names such as Kay Hamilton, Gene Matland, Terry Randall, Linda Shaw, and Judith Canfield. In the play... Carrie Randall is from a rural family, and her father is a country doctor. And Jean Matlin is actually a shower girl who becomes a movie star. Kay Hamilton does still commit suicide, but for completely different reasons and not on an opening night. So to me, it sounds like they radically reworked the source material in a way that would work more for a film. And I also would say, watching this movie, I'm like, how could this be a play? I'm at a loss of all like the different locations, all the stuff going on. I would assume a play would be entirely set in the home, the girl's home. So to me, I'm like, this is very a- a- adapted. I can't tell it's from a play, personally. So, outside the soliloquy of death. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So let's try Did this remind you guys of Rent? Because <laughs> it reminded me of Rent. I haven't seen Rent. Never seen Rent. Never will. I do remember <laughs> the time that uh, I did see a certain troop say... Guess what we're doing next year from this next song? And they just went up there and went, rent, 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 rent. <laughs> and I leaned Anyways. over to my friend and I was, and I was like, See, I think they're doing Hamilton. <laughs> I'm too cultured to consume rent. I am a fan of the classic opera, La Bouille. Oh, now Bouille. I've forgotten the name. La Bouille. Yeah, La Bouille him, whoever. <laughs> no, the bit completely fell apart on me. All right, so... I'll go first on... Oh, we have to add a nom. I'll go first. Yes. I'm going to go actress, but for Ginger Rogers, because I don't care. I thought she was... I did? Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought I thought she was great in this. Uh, she makes the most of her screen time. I feel comfortable saying that even though one could... I would, I would get like the argument today of her being nominated for supporting. I think at the time, it's very obvious she would be put in lead. So... Because she, I think, was a more bankable star than Hepburn at the time. And she does have 
co-billing at the top. So, I think Ginger Rogers, she's very good. Sorry, Sarah, for stealing her. Yeah, I mean, that was mine. I don't have another. I mean, I would do another one, but, like, that's pretty adamantly, like, what I would choose. Um, I thought she was really good. I thought, like, and I think, like, Hepburn is an obvious choice, but I think that, I don't know, it's a cool role. It's kind of this, like, cool, you know, brat to not a brat transformation. So I thought she was good. I don't think that would be a bad decision to give anyone in this movie best supporting actress because i think the supporting cast is just great and obviously i'm a big fan of um rogers and hepburn but i'm gonna give this to my girl uh lucille ball she was always entertaining and i think she added um i think she kind of led up the supporting cast really well so i'm gonna give i'm gonna give her supporting you might notice that this week I didn't give any fun facts about the ceremony, and that's because next week I don't want to repeat the long count that I did this week as our opener. So next week we will be covering another film from 1937. And although we are done with La Cava, we are about to start a journey that I will tell you right now, Caleb, I have written down all the the movies we'll watch eventually. This is the first film by a director that will show up the most of any person on our podcast. And it is, drumroll please, thank you Joe, I assume you put one in because you usually do when I say that, it is William Wyler's Dead End. Okay, I don't think Ooh. I've seen anything from Wyler, well, so got, this will be interesting. This movie's got Humphrey Bogart in it. Actually though, I say about to watch a bunch, but his is pretty spread out. We will keep coming back to Wyler for a bit, but we're going to start... Uh, next time with uh, a crime drama called Dead End, and yes, it does have Humphrey. It does Bogart. have, yeah, but he's not top build, so this will be. In- oh wait, never mind. He is. He's, he is. He's third build. It says. No, he's third build. Oh, his. Sorry, I was looking at the poster, and his name is at the top and the bottom. So, <laughs> but yes, he is technically third build. Oh wait, never mind. I have seen something from him. I've seen Ben Hur. Never mind. Ben who? I'm kidding. Uh, he also did. He also did uh, Roman Holiday, starring not Catherine Hepburn. Well, guys, it's been real. It's been fun. Heck, you could even say it's been a time. Um, I'm Danny Vincent. You can find me on Letterboxd at Blankments. You can also listen to my other podcast, Wise with Ty and Dan. Uh, and yeah, I presume by the time this episode's out, we'll be covering the new Marvel cartoon. What if? Not an animated series. It's a cartoon. Fight me. Uh, anyway, yeah, check me out. I'm Caleb Bunn. You can find me on Instagram and YouTube at Caleb from the real world. And you can check out all my other podcasts there. Only 52 hot trash Unlimited, and star Wars therapy. Special thanks to our editor, Joe, um, who edits this and all of our episodes. You can go hit his band counterfeit actually has some new music. So you can go check them out at counterfeit six one five on Instagram. And I'm Sarah. You can find me on Letterboxd, just my name, Sarah Knopf, um, on Instagram and Twitter, SGK29, uh, E-S-S-G-E-K-A-Y 29, or stream me on Twitch, uh, SGK. All right. Well, we'll see you next time with staying in the 10th Academy Awards. This, this, it's going to be a dead end. All right. Bye. <laughs>